How many of you would say you struggle with praying? Raise your hand. Alright, it's, it's one of those things that if, if we're talking about it, we, we know to pray, we know we should pray, we know that it makes a difference, we know it's vital to us as Christians, but I tell you, if you were to add up the moments, the minutes that you prayed this week, how pathetic would it be? And I, I'm just being honest. It's, it's one of those things that we'd say, well, I'm going to pray about it. And, and this uh, past week we did a lot talking about 2 Chronicles 7.14. I saw that passage posted and shared. If my people who are called my, my name will humble themselves and pray, pray, cry out to God, cry out to God. And yet it's one of the most talked about things. It's one of the easiest things we do. But it's one of the things that we do the least. And we're being honest, we would say that we don't pray enough. We'd say that prayer changes everything. We can't do anything without God. We can't do anything without prayer. But then we don't do it. Then I just seriously got into it saying, why don't we? Why is it that we could have something so powerful at our fingertips and yet we don't engage in it? Because you would think, let me just say, Whatever decisions and things that are happening in America, I believe that it's guided by prayer. Whether, because you say, how is that possible? Because God would not say, if you pray, I'd heal your land, if he didn't mean it. It means something. I think sometimes, if we're being honest, we don't pray because we don't believe that it it truly makes a difference. I've had Christians secretly come to me and talk to me about this and say, I don't understand this. Because if God already has everything planned out and God knows what he's doing and God's going to have his will and way, then what does my piddly opinion have to do with God? If I go to God and say, God, I want you to do this and I want this to happen or whatever, and we, then we step back and say, well, God's going to do his thing anyways. In our minds, it doesn't matter because God's going to do whatever he wants anyways. And there's this, I'm going to make you guys think tonight. So I'm going to throw out, I'm going to throw out some other stuff with you because it's uncomfortable to talk about. But think about this. Why is it that we struggle with this? Because honestly, a lot of our prayers is lip service. If you were to take the average Christian and go through there, it's lip service. Because we know where to pray, so we do it, but we just mumble through things. I I, I told the guys, and I've mentioned this to you guys before, let's never have the habit. I don't care if you're doing a barbecue, if you're leading in a small group, if you're in front of the church, whatever, never sit there and say these words, hey guys, let's stop and pray really fast. It bothers me. You know what I'm saying? It's just something that, well, we're going we're gonna to eat and everybody's hungry, so bow our heads and what do we do? We're like, Lord, thank you for the food and thank you for this day, amen. And it's just like, it's something, let's get it out of our way so we get into this. Then if, if that's our mindset, then we for, forgot the purpose. We don't understand the purpose of praying to begin with. So tonight I want to study Jesus. Because the gospel is filled with events of Jesus praying. And if prayer doesn't matter, Jesus wouldn't have given us the example to pray. And then when you watch what he prayed and how he prayed, we realize that there is significance to what he did. So tonight I want to speak on the subject of why pray. If Jesus is God, here's, here's a, a question with you. If Jesus is God, then why would Jesus have to pray to himself? Have any of you ever thought that? If Jesus is God, then why did Jesus have to pray to himself? Prayer was the basis of Jesus' ministry. It was his example to us through everything that he did. Jesus relied on the Father the same way that we were to rely on God our Father. And I want you guys to see this, that God placed himself in a position through Jesus Christ to rely on his Father. 
And he did not do anything. And I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to do through the Gospels tonight. I'm going to show you how everything Jesus did, he stopped and leaned to the Father. He stopped and went to the Father. He asked the Father for prayer or for protection, for power, for guidance, for healing, for blessings. All of these things that he did. Now I'm going to tell you guys right now, we won't fully understand what I'm going to tell you tonight. Because God, through Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ was 100% man. Now I know a lot of you will sit back and say this, and I got into some deep discussions with the guys. We, we sat at the altar last Sunday and I had this thought on my heart. And I said, guys, let me throw some things at you. And I, I'm almost nervous to do this because I'm not trying to cause confusion, but I do want to stir you guys up. <clears throat> guys, we cannot be shallow in our thinking when it comes to Christianity. We can't be. And it's not bad for me as a pastor to every once in a while get up and put some things in your lap where you walk out of your scratching your head going, man, I don't know how I fully understand that. Here's the thing that you can do. And I'm, gonna, I'm not trying to be sarcastic or whatever. You can go home and take your Bibles and sit down and read this until God gives you the answer the same way that I do when I'm trying to prepare a message to where I'm going to try to give you the answer. But don't ever get to the point where you say, well, I need to be fed, so I'm going to go sit in the church, and I'm going to let Pastor Tony or whoever's up there spoon feed me. Man, we need to be digging. Guys, you know, when, when, when Paul was addressing the church, you know what he got sick of? You know what he was really fed up with? Babies. He said, guys, I came to you with meat, but you couldn't handle it, so I'm going to have to go back to the milk because you guys aren't ready for meat. Because if we're a church... And especially a church that has a lot of seasoned Christians and a lot of young people, I guarantee you, our, our, our young people section and our teens, they could sit there and tell you that a lot of them have been in church their entire lives. And a lot of you guys have grown up in church your whole lives. It's time that we break away from the milk and we dig into the meat. It's time that we get into these things and we break these things apart. So let me throw things at you. Jesus was 100% God. And Jesus was 100% man. He was born of a woman. It was a virgin birth, which means that there was no bloodline of sin that entered into the body of Jesus Christ. He became flesh and he dwelt among us. He did not just clothe himself in flesh. He became flesh. Let me emphasize this. He grew. We have the passage that I threw out the, the guys. I asked the question, did Jesus learn anything? Or did he know everything? Well, then what do you do with the passage when the Bible says, and he grew in wisdom and stature and in knowledge and favor with God and man? He learned. He cried. He had emotions. He got tired. He slept. He was tempted. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, tested, tried like we are yet without sin. He experienced our pains. He experienced our struggles. When he came to the point of Lazarus dying, he wept. When he bled on the cross, he bled real blood. He struggled on the cross. He could not breathe. He was in pain. Sometimes when people think in their minds, Jesus died on the cross, but they wouldn't be the same as you and I dying on the cross, because if it was you and I dying on the cross, it would be all me as a man. But Jesus was 100% man, but he was also 100% God. So in our minds, it didn't hurt him or affect him because of the God side of him was able to endure the pain side of him. But we read that when Jesus Christ was on the die, on the cross, he died, not symbolically, but Jesus in the flesh died on the cross. 
His flesh was ripped apart. His blood gushed out of him. He cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was separated from the presence of God. God turned his back on him. The sky turned black and sin was placed upon him. He cried out and said, I am thirsty. I thirst. Guys, we can debate on this, but to me, going back, I'm going to tell you my personal opinion is when he was in the garden, he asked for the cup or the wrath of sin to pass by him. And he said, not my will, but thy will be done. When he was hanging on the cross, he was not crying out to the Roman soldiers telling them that he thirsts. He was crying out to God, I thirst. Meaning, give me the sin, lay it on me. And after that is when it turned dark. Something going on there. God turned his back and placed the wrath of man on him. Hebrews 2.9, let me throw a, a challenging verse out at you. Hebrews 2.9, but we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor that he by grace of God should taste death for every man. God chose to step into our humanity. Now defining that, drawing the line and explaining that is mind-boggling. At what point do we see the fact that he was God? He walked on water, he raised the dead, he gave sight to the blind. Don't tell me he wasn't God. But I tell you, when he cried and when he wept and when he bled and when he died, we see the humanity of Jesus Christ. No, no, a lot of you are sitting there thinking, boy, he ran the longest rabbit trail ever because he started off preaching on prayer. I'm going to get to that. I just want you to understand that I'm not saying that God was not God or Jesus was not God. And I'm not even saying that he could sin. But I am trying to truly get you to understand that he placed himself in a position He challenged himself in a position to cry out and need God. He cried out to his father. This was his mission, his quest. His job of being a man was to please the father and fulfill to be the Lamb of God to die on the altar of the cross. When Jesus died afterwards, he came back differently. I'm saying the humanity of Jesus. He was there in the flesh. He walked, he talked, he lived, he breathed. He encountered them, but I'll tell you what was different is... He came out and he rose from the dead, something man does not do. He was in a glorified body, which man does not have. He walked through walls, he appeared and disappeared, things that man cannot do. He was changed after his mission. But during his ministry, he displayed a very clear dependency on God. And that's what I want you to understand. He created himself in the form of left as Jesus to rely on the Father as man. When Jesus was arrested, he said these words. He said, thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels. When they came to arrest Jesus, when they came to arrest him, he did not give the glory or the power to himself at that point, but he said, I could, if I wanted to, cry out to my father that has the ability to save me at this point. I'm not saying that Jesus could not have taken care of himself, but I'm saying that he placed him in a position to rely on the Father. Jesus covered his ministry in prayer. So I ask you, why do we pray? I think it's for the same reason that Jesus did. It's because we need God. We cannot do life without God. We cannot make a second without God. If you are failing in your life, I'd ask you to check your prayer life. Because if your prayer life stinks, I tell you, your life is going to stink. If you are weak, it's probably because your prayer life is weak. 
If you feel defeated, I bet you you're defeated already in your prayer life. If you feel lost in life, I'd be willing to bet that you've lost your prayer life. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. I want you to dig with me. I want you to think. I want you to break this down. I want you to process as we go through this. Why did Jesus pray? Why did he constantly go to the Father? Maybe if we're not following the example of how he was in the human side of him, of him showing this dependency on God, then maybe that's why we're struggling so bad in our lives. This is the story and the the passage that I really touched on as well this morning where he goes to fast and pray in the wilderness. And I want you to see what happened. In Matthew 4, 1, when Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil or, or tested of the devil or tried of the devil, Jesus was tempted in all manners of like we were. Now notice in verse 2, when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterwards and hungered. Now, now guys, that's something you could relate to, except most of the time it's after skipping two meals that we're hungered like that. It's not after 40 days and 40 nights, but let, notice some observations here. Jesus went to the Father before his earthly ministry because he was relying on the Father to perform his earthly ministry. Praying for the power, for the guidance, and the presence of his God. And during that time, notice what happens. And guys, you'll relate to this. Man, you're going to do the work of God. Or you're going into ministry. You want a strong week at work. And you're praying, you're fasting, you're seeking God. And man, you're getting serious. You know what's going to happen? I promise you, this is what's going to happen. Satan's going to show up. I, I guarantee you. You know, a lot of times when you get in the mode and say, you know what, God, on Sunday you pray, Lord, this is going to be my week. I'm going to pray more than I did. I'm going to rely on you. I'm not going to get in my flesh this week. And you didn't get in that first thing. I promise you in the car on Monday morning, Satan's going to show up in one way or the other. He wants nothing more than to deter you from what the mission that you set out to do. He was tempted. Jesus was tempted not only by Satan that showed up, but by his flesh. You know how I know what his flesh, when he fasted 40 days, you know the first thing that it mentions about Jesus? He hungered. I'm going to ask you guys, why don't we fast and pray? Why don't we fast more? I'll tell you why, because your belly doesn't like it. I, 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 have, I have fasted for a day and felt like I was going to die within 22 hours of doing it. Go ahead and try it. Let's see what happens. Satan will fight you and your flesh will fight you. He began to mess with his mind. You know why we don't pray more? Because Satan often affects our mind. He comes in, he starts his conversation. One of the first things that he does, he shows up and he says, hey, look at those rocks. Why don't you turn those into bread? You, you say, well, that's not a big deal. It had to be a big deal. Or Number one, it wouldn't be mentioned in Scripture. Number two, Satan wouldn't have done that if it didn't mean something. Here, here he is. He was tempted in like manner as we are. Jesus is there and he looks at that and says, man, that looks like bread. You know, you could actually turn that into bread. You, you, could, you, could, you could actually turn that into what you're craving right now. I'll tell you, the devil will fight you when you decide to pray. He'll come up and tell you, why does this even matter? Do you think God really hears you? And he'll call to your mind and tell you certain things that you did this week. You remember last week and you did this and you struggled with this and now you're going to pray? You really think that's going to matter after everything that you've done? There is a spiritual attack on us when we pray. When you turn to the Father, because you're going to find out that the Father is the source of our strength, and so He wants nothing more for you to stay away from that. And then we fight our flesh. I'm going to be honest, I'm just going to tell you how it is. Number one, our flesh is lazy. 
We don't like to fast because we can't tell our bodies no. We, don't, we, we easily get distracted. We start praying and all of a sudden our phone will ding or the phone in the office will go off or somebody comes in to talk to us or you know, somebody knocks at the door or whatever. You got, go ahead and try it. There will be nights that you can't fall asleep. You pray you'll be asleep in 30 seconds. Why is it that our flesh struggles like that? Man, we forget to pray. You know how I know? Go up to somebody and say, hey, uh, let me tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you. I know you have this surgery this week. I'm going to be in prayer for you. And then a week later, they come up and say, thank you for praying for me. And you're like, oh, yeah, you're welcome. You know, it's like, you don't want to come out and say, you know, I totally forgot about that. I didn't say a word to God about you. Was, you know, we want to do that. We struggle. Two oppositions that came at Jesus as he's going to be with the Father to pray was the devil and his flesh. Verse 3, And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made into bread. The tempter will come to you. He will distract you. He will get in your head. Jesus responds in verse 4, and he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You know what the word live means? It means to survive. Let me tell you, us as Christians, you cannot survive without God. Put it like that. He turns around and he says, Hey, this menial temptation and everything you're trying to distract me to pull away he said what i'm getting through fasting and praying and fellowship with god i can't live without it i need every word that proceeds out of the mouth of god he was there praying to god and god speaks back to us through his word and through fasting and praying and fellowship with god you know what he's saying right there i can't i can't go without this why do we feel like we can go without it and i'm not talking about the, the two-minute prayer before we eat or 30-second prayer before you eat. Matthew 4.11, I'm asking you why pray. And when the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. You know what I find is fascinating about this is God restored him. And in that time of need, when he is down and out, and he was weak, and he was tired, and he was spiritually battling his flesh, and spiritually battling the devil, and, and fighting temptation at that point, and he was doing what he was supposed to do. You know what God did? God sent him the help that he needed. And I'm going to show you guys a pattern through Scripture, how often Jesus retreated the prey, and that he was ministered unto. And that even blows my mind, that Jesus would have to be ministered to, showing the humanity of God in that. Showing that he was doing and setting an example because I promise you every one of us gets weak in this room. Every one of us gets discouraged. Every one of us wants to quit. Every one of us gets to this point. You know the word phrase right here, minister to him. means to wait upon him. It means to be a friend to or to serve. The spiritual illustration in the Greek is to use the office of a deacon. Literally to, to minister unto other people. And I, I can't imagine what this was like. Sending the angels to minister unto him. But God sent down to somebody that was weak on his knees praying to God. And God lifted him and restored. Let me tell you, that's more than just an illustration. That's a practice of what God does in our lives. You think you can get away with not praying? 
I'll tell you, there's a world of trouble going to happen tomorrow in your life. There's opposition, temptation in school, temptation with the opposite sex, temptation with what's going to come on TV. You're going to get in the flesh and want to walk out of your job and yell at your boss and walk. You know, you know, all these things are happening. You're going to be weak and you're going to fail. But seeing what God does, if God says when you pray, he sends ministers, he brings healing and restoration and help and strength into our lives. And you think you don't need to pray? Look what God did. Let's follow this pattern of prayer. Flip over to Luke chapter 5 verse 12. And we're kind of going in, in, in order with this, but it's still watching Jesus pray. Why do you pray? Why did Jesus pray? I, I, I think of this too, guys. The ministering unto him and the illustration of a deacon in that passage And I mean, I know that spiritually speaking that God comes and refreshes and speaks to us, but I think that God also does that through people. I think through a note or a friend or a church service or a message or a passage or whatever, that God God reaches down from heaven and gives us what we need and restores our soul as well. Let's follow this pattern on prayer. Luke chapter 5 verse 12. I'm going to read it and some of you guys are going to be like, ah, this has nothing to do with praying, but hang with me. And it came to pass when he was in a certain city that behold a man full of leprosy who seeing Jesus fell on his faith and besought him saying, Lord, if thou wilt, can thou make me clean? And he put forth his hand and he touched him saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him and he charged him to tell no man, but to go and show thyself to the priest and offer for cleansing according to Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Say, all right, I had nothing to do with praying. You're right, that has nothing to do with praying. But it's, I just described all of you guys on a Sunday, honestly. It might not be healing a leper or giving sight to the blind, but it does mean you serving other people. And I'll tell you, on any given Sunday this morning, I sat in the back as we were shaking hands and I saw everybody running out of here to go to the choir practices, running up here on the stage and all the ushers going to the back and them getting into place and we had people parking cars and we had people running over the Sunday school and people running security. We're all doing this and we're going to all of our place. So that's what this description is. Man full of leprosy. Let me tell you guys, people can be exhausting. Helping hurting people can be exhausting. Serving on a Sunday can be exhausting. Coming to choir practice and and being out on the bus routes and running over to help people in need and hearing people's problems and all these things can be exhausting. What does Jesus do? Verse 15, But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him. It spread. You help people, more people be in line to get in line for you because everybody wants help. Everybody's looking for like, and and I know this as a pastor, you know this as a Christian. Man, you start helping people and say, hey, can you pray for me? And man, I need to talk to you. And hey, when you got a minute, and da-da-da-da. And the great multitude came together to hear and to be healed by him for their infirmities. Can I remind you that he was 100% man? Can I remind you that he felt pain and he got tired and he was physically exhausting and dealing with people in needs? Verse 16, and he withdrew himself into the wilderness and he prayed. Here's why you pray. We have to pray for God's strength. Do you know why you pray? 
You're sitting there saying, this was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yes, Jesus in the flesh, Jesus putting himself in the position. He healed and he went and the fame spread abroad and all these people came and the multitude came and they pressed upon him. And Lord, we need you, we need you, we need you. And Jesus at one point stopped and he withdrew himself. He got out of the crowd. He walked away from the kids. He stepped out of work. He left junior church. He got off his bus route. He got away from the family drama. He got alone. And he prayed. I feel like we have a lot of discouraged people in this room. There's a lot of discouraged people in our church. Because you know what we do? We will do everything that we read and emphasize in those beginning verses, but we don't do verse 16. We just get up and we do it again. And we do it again. And we do it again. And we teach and we give and we love and we share and we don't restore ourselves. I, I, you say, why, why did Jesus do that? I have to go back to the same reason he did it the first time. Because he, and the angels came and ministered to him and God gave him strength and God restored him and built him up and gave him the strength to keep going. Guys, we will fail. You will be discouraged. You will fall on your face without the strength of God. We make prayer all about what we're going to get. It's like a request line. It's like Amazon. You know, and you're sitting there, Lord, I'd, oh, yeah, I'd like some help today. And boy, yeah, Lord, if you could, you know, give me, a, give me that date. And Lord, oh, yeah, definitely. I want that car, Lord, and a raise would be great. You know, we make our orders with God. Have you ever thought that it's more about fellowship with God? The fact that He loves to hear from you and you hear from them? Do you know why some of you love to get alone with some of your friends? And you sit there and you just talk and you share and you open your heart up and you're saying, and then you walk away. Hey, thank you for talking to me. I really needed it. What did you get? I, I mean, what did they do? I mean, honestly, if you, if you were to evaluate the conversation, all you did was share your heart with them and they shared their heart with you and they encourage you and you encourage them, but you walk away going, man, I feel so much better. From what? It comes from the example that God gave to us. It's fellowship with one another. We were created to need one another. We meet each other's spiritual needs and emotional needs and encouragement and edification and everything. And I'll tell you, if you think you can get that from one another and you do, how much more do you get that from God? How much more do we get that from God? That God ministers to us and we pour out our prayers when God says, cast your care upon me. I'll show you in a passage of when Jesus was praying of different things that he did. He healed. He helped. He got away. He refreshed. And then he went back. You can not keep pushing, pushing, pushing and leave out a relationship with God. You know, one of the first things you're going to tell any new believer, anybody that comes to church, your new relationship with God, it's not about works. It's not about works of righteousness. It's about a relationship with God. It's not about religion. And a lot of Christians that come to church on a consistent basis has, have, has little to no relationship with God. We're familiar with God. And I, I, I give this illustration about Jen and I and our relationship. If it, let, let's say that 
I love her and, and, and we have problems and we have things that we want to talk about. We have challenges with our kids and all these things. But let's say in our relationship, I come in and I walk up the Jordan and I say, your mom is so good and I love your mom. And I, you know, I, I love being around you. I love everything about your mom. And she's standing right there. I don't say anything to her. And then I, I walk through the house and I'm singing about how great Jenny is and how I love, and Jenny is the best and all this. And then I walk right past her and I, you know, and I go through my whole life like this and you say, boy, you're a big fan of your wife, but you have very little relationship with your wife. And that's true. But you think about that when we come to church and we sing about God. God is great. And God is wonderful. And man, God's been so good to me and all this. But when it comes down to it, how much relationship did you actually have between you and God? Not talking about God. Not wearing the cool t-shirt, not having the radio playing in the car, not having the book in your, on your bookshelf of, you know, great, great things that God has done or can do. I'm talking about between you as a seasoned Christian and between you and your God having a relationship. So let's just keep reading. After verse 16, go to verse 17. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching, there were the Pharisees. Are we in the right path? Yeah. There were the Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Jerusalem, and, of Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. You realize that what was the very phrase that happened right before this? That he pulled himself away, he prayed. When he came back, he came back in power. You know, and if, you, if you're going to go face your class again or face your bus route again or face family or job or whatever again, you're going to do it without power if you do it without prayer. We need God for our strength. Have you asked for it? Have you gone to God for it? Are you ready for the next challenge, the next day, the next problem because you've gone to God? This is the same practice that he did. He fed the 5,000. You know what Jesus did when he, after he fed the 5,000? You don't have to turn there, but the Bible says in Mark 6, and he departed into a mountain and he prayed. He, he accomplished this big thing. And every time he did something big, he went back and he said, Lord, Father, thank you for that. But I want to do it again and I can't do it again. I can't do it in my own strength. I need you to empower me to go do it again. And once again, I'm not questioning the power of God through Jesus Christ. I'm teaching you the example that he set for us. Go to Luke chapter 6, verse 10, the next chapter. Luke chapter 6, verse 10. And looking around about upon them all, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he did so, and his, and his hand was restored whole as another. And they were filled with madness and communed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So let me show you. First of all, we go to God for our strength. But why do we pray? We, we need God for our problems. How did God respond or what, he did, what did he do as they're all congregating to get Jesus? Verse 12, and it came to pass on those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. What do, what do you do with your problems? I'll tell you, we mumble, we cry, we complain, we get discouraged, we find people at work and go, you won't believe what's happening tomorrow. And we chatter about it or whatever. Here's, here's Jesus, what he does. He's got this there, and he's on there to do the will of the Father, and he gets done hearing that, and it came to pass in those days that he went up into a mountain to pray, and he continued all night in prayer. And sometimes when we're praying, we pray about everything, and we're thinking, what else is there to pray about? And then I started thinking, 
about the way that he prayed or what he prayed, I don't think it was just a list. I don't think he prayed through a list. I think it was conversational. I think he literally laid out before God, Lord, the Pharisees are out to get me. And Lord, I want to do the will. And I want those people to know you. And Lord, I, I, I want to be here to please you as my father. Lord, I want every step to be guided by you and all this. It wasn't just a matter of him tapping in or touch, you know, touching base with God. He was communing with God. Same way that if you got with a friend and you were to talk and talk and talk, this wasn't shallow, it wasn't passive, it was real, it was deep. We sing songs like leaning on Jesus, leaning on Jesus. Well, let me ask you, how do you lean on Jesus? I'm asking you, how do you lean on Jesus? I can show you how Jesus leaned on his Father. We pray. You let him know what you're feeling. You pour your heart out before God. I want to bring you to Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Dealing with your problems and dealing, asking God for strength. But let me show you this. Matthew 26, 36, one of the most popular prayers in the Bible. But I want to just make you think about this. Then come Jesus with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, sit you here while I go and pray yonder. You know why Jesus was there? Because once again, he's going to face the most intense thing that he ever faced in his flesh. And what does he do before he gets there? He goes and he prays to the Father. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and very, ha- very heavy. Then saith he unto them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. Even unto death tarry ye here and watch with me. I want to break this down. The word sorrowful means grieved or intensely sad. Very heavy means full of heaviness. I I don't know how it is, but one of the passages, one of the books lays it out and he fell on his face to pray. And, And they say that could be just symbolic or whatever, but you can imagine him being that heavy, that burdensome, where you could just barely walk. Fatigued, broken. Sound familiar to anybody here? You say, well, well, that was Jesus. Let me tell you where Jesus was at in this passage right here. He was at a point where it was tearing his flesh apart. Some of you have been at that point where your problem or your family or your job or your health has worn on you so much that it's tearing you apart. You are grieved. You are intensely sad. You are full of heaviness. Yeah, Jesus knows. Don't ever stop and think that Jesus has no clue. Don't ever think that your prayer has no purpose. Don't ever think that there's no reason for doing what you do or it's just a religious thing that we do of, you know, the Catholics do their thing and stuff. And I think with our prayers, it's just, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm doing this because this is what we do as Christians. It's not just what we do. We live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We cannot live, we cannot face, we cannot deal with life without God. He was carrying the weight of the world, the sin of man. This is the greatest description of sorrow that we read in the Bible. It didn't just say he was sorrowful and very heavy. And he said, even unto death, he felt like it was going to kill him. Jesus does not turn to the guys with his burdens. He had them there. James 
the son of Zebedee, Peter, all those guys. Where do you turn with the heaviness in your life? When you can't carry it anymore, when you don't know what to do. Because this is real. This is life. This is problems. This is you this week. This is where we can learn from the power of prayer. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Verse 39, and he went a little farther and he fell on his face. Just exhausted before God. And I think sometimes we're so symbolic and proper in our praying. You know, you know what I'm saying? Oh, Father, Father. You know, just like we're trying to impress. I tell you, God just wants to hear from your heart. Don't, don't pray to impress. Pray to be honest. Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but thou wilt. His prayer to the Father as he fell on his face was, if it be possible... Let me just point out to you guys, Jesus made a request to God and Jesus got his request denied by his father. That's something we don't want to talk about. His request was denied. He said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Literally, let the wrath of God pass from me and rightly so. That was the wrath, the sin of man being placed on the, the Lamb of God, perfection. It was the opposite Jesus was sinless, and that was the sin of every man that was being placed on him. He was honest before God. He he didn't just say, well, whatever you want. He said, no, if it be possible, here's my heart. Do you guys pray your heart? I mean, go before God. Lord, this is what I want. I'm just being honest. This is the the desire of my heart. I I would like to have this. Or Lord, I would like to be able to move or change or have or not have in my life. This is my request that I make unto you. But the power that comes behind it is, let my will, not my, not my will, but your will be done. And he went a little further in verse 9, and he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as my will, but thou wilt be done. Nevertheless, You know, when he was praying through that word, he says, Lord, but greater than this, I want your will to be done. The bigger picture here was the fact that God wanted to save humanity. Do you ever realize that maybe sometimes God sees the bigger picture of your prayers? When you're requesting something, God knows that the bigger picture is he's got to say no to accomplish his will through your life. A lot of us will get discouraged and say, I don't know why I should pray. God doesn't answer me anyways. Have you ever thought that God knows best? And if he says no to you, he has a reason. The reason why he said, if it be possible, and he said, not my will, but thine will be done. And God rejected that request is because he had you and I on on his mind and heart. The reason he was there and he needed him to die on the cross is so that we would not go to hell. Thank God he didn't accept his prayer in the garden with that. He prayed for God's will. In verse 40, And he cometh unto the disciples, and he findeth them asleep, and said unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went again to pray the second time, and he prayed, O Father, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, Thy will be done. Did you notice it wasn't a request this way? And he comes back this this time and he said, Lord, if this is not what you want, then bring it on. Let me have it. Let me do it. 
Place me smack in the middle of what you want because I trust you as my father. This is our prayer. God might be working right now in ways in our country and your family and your life. And you've got to pray these things. Make your petition known unto God, but then come back and say, Lord, you do what you want to do in my life. I give you complete access, control, surrender before your feet. I, I share this with you because I think that we're approaching 2017. We're approaching another year. This has got to be a year of change. I mean, a, a year of, I mean, God working in our families and God working in our church and God working in America. I, I, I mean that with all my heart. And I promise you that God will not be working in your life and God will not be working in your family and God will not be working in our nation if we don't learn to pray. He won't. We, we had the largest evangelical turnout of voting ever recorded in history. I, I have not seen this many people praying and this many people doing these things because I think we just hit a spot thinking, wow, we're, we're, we need God. Well, we've always needed God. How much more could God do with us if that was a continual action, not, not just a November 8th thing? What, what more could God do in your life? 